You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Good evening. Welcome, everybody. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for Friday, the 15th of May, 2020. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't know if that intro didn't sound the greatest for some reason. Uh, I was trying to figure out why. I think I pressed something wrong on my player, but whatever the case may be. Thank you so much for tuning in and hope you're having a great week um, in the Lord. And we're going to try and have a good positive show today because I think we all probably need it. And, uh, you know, people are starting to get to the point where they're, it, the frustration is kind of boiling um, among many. So I think we should, um, rather than f- being frustrated at the news or whatever else may be, I'm not saying be ignorant or anything like that. But let's spend, and we will be trying to spend as many programs looking at various things. Hopefully, will bless you, and hopefully, will encourage us. Uh, we're going to be going through our sequential going through of the Psalms, and it was interesting today. Uh, I was looking at Psalm sixteen and the idea of hope and uh, of victory over the grave and things like this, um, especially when we're thinking about the subject of death and when you think of COVID-19 and there are funerals now or not even funerals sometimes there's people are being robbed of the opportunity to say goodbye to their loved ones and more and more people are having to face the reality of death not that we have never seen it before, but it is certainly something that we can't escape. And uh, whatever the case may be, whether we will face death because of COVID-19, or whether we'll face death of something else, whether we'll live in under 20 years or five or whatever it may be, or something unrelated, we will die one day and we will either be clothed in the righteousness of Christ or we will be clothed in our own filthy rags. Now, let's turn to Psalm 16 again. I think we need it. And I'm, there's been certain skirmishes, shall we say, on social media and stuff like that. Um... I think, look, we've a, we've a long way to get go with this whole coronavirus, SARS two, whatever you want to call it. And I do have a limited enough knowledge of biomedical science, purely because I have a degree in it. Um, 
no, I've been out of the field a long time. 2008 was when I graduated. I have some work experience in a hospital. If, if you remember in that hospital, I probably didn't have the greatest, didn't leave the greatest impression. It was before I was a Christian. I know enough in the, in, in that area to know, to have some level of discernment. Again, I'm not an expert or anything like that. I'm not, would never, even MDs and everything else like that relies doctors and who not necessarily in that area relies the difficulty in that area. But one thing I do know, and one thing we should just get to grips with, whatever the severity, whatever the level or whatever debates maybe, there's a long way for this to go. And there's only one way the church is going to be able to get through it, or anybody is going to be able to get through it, together. And unless we do it together, then we're in a lot of trouble. Psychologically, physically, emotionally, we have to be together in this. And I would urge you, if you're still down playing this thing, um, I suppose, will it become apparent to people this, is, this isn't going to go away anytime soon? This isn't some leftist conspiracy. I'm no fan of the political left. But if we're, if we're trying to come up with theories to explain things, we want somebody to blame. We want a boogeyman. We need, regardless of who's causing what or whatever the case may be, a person's greatest need is salvation found only in Jesus Christ. That's a person's greatest need. But they're in union with Christ, and by God's grace, we're going to look at that this tonight, and feel free to add, <laughs> yeah, somebody says, skirmishes on social media, no way, yes, I'm detecting a slight hint of sarcasm there, you know, from somebody in the chat room, um, yeah, there's a, there's a, sorry, there's a guy on, on, on Twitter, and he's got, he's, I don't know, I've only seen, a certain amount of his tweets, and he's he's got this kind of he never breaks character. He's always a soldier in it, and oh man, I I don't know I love it personally, but some some people who are characters on Twitter, it's not that cool or something. But I I like that one anyway. Welcome everybody who's in the chat room, and uh, hopefully this will be edifying for you all. Before we read through Psalm sixteen, and uh, we're just gonna have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this privilege, this great privilege to come before your word. And Lord, we pray that your great and mighty name may be honored and glorified. As we read your precious and holy word, may we receive instruction from it, and may we be encouraged by it, and may we be strengthened by it. Oh Lord, we pray for those who will listen to this program after through podcasts, through sermon audio, whatever the case may be, we pray, Lord, that you be with them. Give us wisdom, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Psalm 16, this is God's word. 
Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen on me to me. In pleasant places, yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life, in your presence is fullness of joy, in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. I may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Now, let's make a few comments on this in light of uh, what we're facing and what we are going through. The first verse is very much about, as we look at this, our sure hope of victory, our sure hope of victory over death, over the grave, as we'll look at later that here it's transliterated more Sheol and uh, the Greek version, Hades, the place of the dead. We'll get into that in a second. I know some of the older translations will say hell. And I, I've i never done a ton of research apart from some lex worked in some lexicon and stuff like that. But um, I'll suggest the reason, I know some people have a problem with that, but just realize this, with the whole use of the old Sheol word and hell, or Hades, sorry, as opposed to hell, um, I think that the translators, they're transliterating first and foremost, but for a reason to distinguish it from the place um, of eternal fire, Gehenna in Greek and... Tartarus, etc., and so on. So, Sheol can no doubt refer to either the place of the dead, and I think th this is important, we'll see in a second, because it's referring to Christ, and not only that, the place of the dead. Context is key, especially if you're reading through your old King James or the Geneva translation or whatever, the context uh, in which you find hell is important because we don't want to say... Jesus spent three days in hell, because um, <laughs> that's a touchy doctrine, shall we say. Um, so, verse 1, verse 1 of Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. And at the beginning, David, the psalmist, is seeking the Lord's protection. 
This is very important for us. Are we seeking the Lord's protection or are we seeking government's protection? The protection of man, the protection of man's wisdom. Yes, we use means and yes, we, we try to take the guidelines and, and safe precautions, etc. and so on. But our hope and our protection is not in the hospitals. If it is, we will be constantly at our wit's end. I remember a number of programs ago, I did something on, on worry and anxiety. And I remember saying, I will get through this and I don't want you to be having sleepless nights. And then I was thinking, if you're not a Christian, I do want you to have sleepless nights. To an extent, I hope that, that you will have this sense of your sin this side of eternity. But if you are a Christian, that that peace that passes all understanding, that, that sense of what you have in Christ, and that protection in Christ will grow. And you realize more and more whom the God you serve, and that he is the great deliverer, the great redeemer, the one in complete control of all things. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. If we truly do that, in a real sense, it will bring calm. No matter what we face, the government is taking my liberties. Well, the Lord is sovereign over all these things. Duties are ours, but consequences belong to God. Samuel Rutherford, and I think many, many other people have said throughout church history. We're looking for the protection of Almighty God. It doesn't mean we let aside means, but are we furiously putting all our hope in petitioning the government? Or are we putting our hope in petitioning God? It's not that we can't do that, but which is which do we see as far more important? Verses two and three, it says, Oh my soul. Now, oh my soul has been provided by the translators. Um literally in the Hebrew, you have said to the Lord, You are my Lord. And in English, that kind of doesn't make sense translating poetry in hebrew is more difficult the narrative and things like that but the the context here is oh oh my soul your soul is you have said to the lord jehovah you are my lord i think it's adonai adon if i'm not mistaken my goodness is nothing apart from you. So if we are accepted in, before God, before the throne room of God, it is because the righteousness of Jesus Christ, he has fulfilled the law perfectly in our place, and he has borne the wrath of Almighty God. But that goodness is nothing apart from you. It is 
a righteousness, an alien righteousness imputed to our account. Verse 3, as for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. I think it's um, curious there. Look, verse 16 there, verse 3 in just says the excellent, but the excellent ones are more or less the same thing. Now, what's the psalmist getting here? Where, where is he? What is his focus here in these two verses? He's almost saying delight in me and not delight in me because of my goodness or because of anything in me because God could not delight in anything within us because that is sin and God could not look with pleasure upon sin. However, it is because of a goodness found in Christ, imputed to our account, that perfect keeping of the law that he did while on this earth. They are the excellent ones in who in all whom is my delight. Now, there's a sense in the Psalms that they are speaking about those who produce fruit, those who are Christ-like, but there's also a, a fuller sense in which this is speaking of Christ. For the saints around the all, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. And this is something to remind yourselves, dear Christian, when you go through those difficult, dark times, I think it was something that just clicked with me a few years ago. We can always throw around, yes, God loves me and all this kind of stuff. And then we say to the lost heathen, perhaps God loves you. And there's a sense of truth to that, but not in a sense of God does not delight in the unbeliever, the one who's outside of Christ. Historically, that was called the love of complacency, a term used by Francis Turton. If you read God's Love, an excellent book by R.C. Sproul, he goes through this as well in one of his chapters. But that love in which you delight, it's not about providing sunlight and food and things like that. That is showing love, but in a different sense, in a different sense. They are the excellent ones in whom I delight. And where the psalmist is here saying, Oh, my soul, you've said to my Lord, my goodness is... He's almost saying, delight in me because of Christ, because of him. Because, and it tells us here in verse 4, why? Why delight in me? Why? Why is this? Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another, who who go after another. The, that word God here in the NKGV that I have in front of me is provided again by the translators. It is a false God, small g. But they, the word Elohim is not used here. It is who go after another, who seek after someone else, who seek after protection, not from the God of, from the Elohim of Scripture, from the Jehovah of the Bible. There are sorrow. Why do why do why does the the psalmist hope that God will delight in him, so that he won't go the way of the heathen, 
because their sorrows shall be multiplied. Their drink offerings of the blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. Because of their fate, because of where they're going, because God takes no pleasure. He is angry with the wicked every day. We have this silly slogan that exists in the church. God hates the sin, but not the sinner. Well, to quote R.C. Sproul, well, he sends the sinner to hell. What is hell but the holy, righteous, and just hatred of Almighty God? We don't like to think of it like that. But it is is his holy anger. It is his wrath. Our God is a consuming fire. So we hope, because of the merits of another, that God will delight in us so we won't go the way of those who hasten after another, after another God. Because that's... That is the alternative. If we don't go after the God of the scriptures, we'll go after a false image of our own brains. Our brains are idol-making factories. I think there's a quote from John Calvin to that extent. We are worshipping creatures. We will worship someone, something, perhaps even ourselves, perhaps something as foolish as rocks and stones, perhaps the creation itself, but we will worship someone, something, and we, we will either go after God, or we will follow after him, love him, or we'll go after another, sadly. Verses 5 and 6 looks at something that should encourage us all, our inheritance. We our family are reading through at the moment, book of Joshua, and we're going through the genealogies of my daughters. They're both five years old. And as I'm going, th- I try to point out to them, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. We, we need to read through every part of the Bible. All of the scripture is important. Uh, I'm trying to break it up. Sometimes we go to Romans and maybe back again after a bit of time, but just to talk about how these were real people. And even talk about with them how these things, this really happened. And they received an inheritance. God's people in the promised land received an inheritance of land. And what did that land point towards? Heavenly Canaan. Heavenly Canaan. We have pictures for our children. When the church is young in the Old Testament, God has pictures to show his people, to show them what awaits them if they trust in the one who would come, Jesus Christ. That's in the Old Testament. Verses 5 and 6, Oh Lord, you you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. And in the Old Testament, wasn't it towards the Levites didn't get any inheritance? Their inheritance was the Lord. They were to look toward him. We, this, this is not our home. 
we, we await a better country, a better inheritance, something far greater than anything on this earth. And if we actually thought about that, meditated upon that, how that would change us, how differently would we live? We, we, we have one or two little aside. Don't we have that tendency to either think some people hate being here and can't wait to go to heaven? That's one extreme. No, we should love Christ here and now, but yes, be excited to go to heaven. Yes, absolutely. But then there's the other extreme where we're kind of, we're too attached to what we're doing here. And it dampens our excitement for worshiping the God of heaven for all eternity. We need to have both. Modern theologians would call it the already and not yet. The kingdom of God is already here, but not yet in its fullness. Not yet in the blessings that await us in the new heavens and the new earth. The Lord is our inheritance. Is there anything greater than that? You maintain my lot, the lines have fallen to me, the pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. My business is shot. I'm not sure if I can maintain it, you're probably thinking. Imagine if you will. You discovered you were an heir to a fortune. Perhaps you didn't know it, you were really related to some royalty somewhere and your inheritance was of billions of pounds. We say pounds over here in the UK, dollars, whatever. Like, wow, what an inheritance. And, and you only get it say when someone passes away or whatever the case may be it's like wow and we look to that inheritance go wow that is amazing but that is nothing compared to the glorious riches that await those from Christ Jesus in heaven the eye is not seen or the ear heard it is so far. We can't even imagine what heaven is like. No pain, no suffering, no sin. No struggling with sin. You know, you are listening to this and you're having difficulty in a certain area. I think, will I ever have victory in this area? Well, there'll come a day when you're when sin, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ and you've truly been born again, when sin will never enter into your mind, you won't even desire it. Now that won't happen this side of eternity, but that awaits. And we need to have, like, you know, when you're running a race, you know, the marathon is horrible if you're running you know you're running 10 miles 20 miles and you're thinking oh man i've got another 
10 miles to go, 20 miles to go. What happens when you see the, that end line? When you've got it in your, in your eye and you can see it, get like a, a boost of adrenaline. I've never run a marathon, but I can imagine that that's what happens. And we need to keep heaven. And why is heaven heaven? Because Jesus is there. And we'll worship him. And the thing is, if we don't like to worship him here and now, if we have no interest in worshiping God here and now, if we have no desire to, to read of the scriptures here and now, to listen to his sweet voice, what, what will make us think that we will have any interest? If you, if you don't love Christ here and now, if you've never been born again, regenerated spirit of God, if you've never repented of your sin, then hev heaven is going to sound boring, isn't it? You must be born again. Verse 7 and verse 8 talks about our affections. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is on my right hand, I shall not be moved. Now, we'll get into that being quoted in Acts chapter 2 in a second. But I have set the Lord always before me. You struggle in an area. Set the Lord always before in your mind, meditating upon his perfections, the sweetness of Christ, that your heart, your mind, your thoughts will think more like him. Now, ultimately, this is speaking of Christ. These verses 8 to 11 of this psalm, and we'll look at that in a second. Therefore, my heart is glad and my, my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. His body never saw corruption. Why? Because he's not, he was never nor could he ever be a sinner. His body never saw corruption, and his soul was not no longer in the grave, no longer in the place of the dead, not in. He already, he already said on the cross to Telestai, it is finished, paid in full. It is quoted um, these last few verses of Psalm 16. How are we doing for time? Ooh, halfway through the room. <laughs> um, Acts chapter 2. Peter's sermon after Pentecost quotes this section in Acts chapter 2. Verse 25, when he says, For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand. I may not be shaken, therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, older translations, hell, or even modern translations too, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will not leave my soul in death. Death. 
There was no corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You have, you will make me full of joy in your presence. He makes it quite clear in the sermon that is speaking, he's preaching Christ to those Jews from all these different nations who gather from Parthians and Medes and Elamites and Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, all of these Jewish people at the Pentecost, the Spirit of God's coming upon them. They're speaking in tongues. And Peter goes back and quotes this psalm, Psalm 16, that he would not see corruption because he was the sinless one, the only one whose body went into the grave and never decayed. Excuse me. I have behavior verse up. If you hear me sneezing, <coughs> excuse me. Oh, well. Okay, so... And, and, P, and Peter says here, Therefore being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath, him of the fruit of his body according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. Now, how should this comfort us? How should this comfort us when we're going through so much anguish, anxiety, and fear all of us are going through various levels of fear, even the people who are pretending otherwise. Okay? If you're in Jesus Christ, because he is raised from the dead, because of that union with Christ, because we're it, that mystical union, we're in union with Christ, and he's been raised from the dead, we also have a hope. While we... When we die, our, our, body, our, our, our soul will leave our body and go to heaven if we're believers in Jesus Christ. But our bodies at the end of time will also be raised from the grave. Because we are represented by Christ. Glorification. Do we think about glorification? And and in times of suffering, we really should. Glorification. That when our bodies, we may be on ventilators, we may be suffering, we may have other health issues, heart problems, name the problem. But we'll one day, believers in Jesus Christ, one day receive a body which will never be sick. Do you know one of the things the health and prosperity gospel charlatans get wrong? They always say, oh, look, the atonement speaks of healing. Yes, but we will die. And will one day, believers, true believers, will receive a body which will never die, never decay, never experience suffering, tiredness, the weaknesses of this side of eternity. It's so far beyond our comprehension. There's, 
one of the things people find hard with this whole pandemic is we don't know where, where the end line is and we don't know what life will be like afterwards and that's causing people an awful lot of anguish if you don't keep if you don't like what's coming after us is hope or is it just gonna be absolute misery and unless christians keep their focus on that resurrection hope that we are in Christ, we will be raised on that last day. What a glorious thing to look forward to. That resurrection glory. Because when we have that hope, when we look forward to that day so much, we can face anything. But we get bogged down with the things of this world. If we have that before us, if we look forward to that day, we'll gladly, gladly suffer for him. If we love him, we'll gladly suffer for him. If we see the importance of it, we'll gladly witness for him. We'll gladly share the gospel so that he will be glorified, not just in the future, but now, here. Because we'll see, it's so f much more important, no matter how much we're mocked, no matter how much we're ridiculed, no matter how much anything happens, no matter how foolish people may think that we are, we have that day in the future to look forward to. It is sure and secure and without doubt. Why? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. His body never saw corruption. He is no longer in the tomb. He has gone to be with his father. Does that give you encouragement? He rose. He defeated the grave. So those who are in him they're dead to the to their old way they've crucified the flesh. And they're now dead in Christ. Not just to be crucified with him, but also to be raised with him in the future. Okay. Westminster, larger confession time. Now, you might say, okay, I am not a Westminster guy. Look, you may not be, but there's many things you can, any of us should learn. Many people would email me for years, and I never gave them a good answer. I'm a new Christian. What should I read? Now, maybe not the larger catechism at the beginning. Go, to, go with the shorter catechism. Or the, the Heidelberg catechism is really warm and rich and a blessing as well. So I would encourage, I obviously think, because I'm a Westminster guy, go with the Westminster Shorter Catechism, but there's these catechisms that we have in our history that can incur... We don't have to reinvent the wheel, and the problem is there's good theologians, and you'll sometimes get their books and you'll read through their stuff, and oh, that's really, really good. And they'll just say things in a kind of slightly funny way, and they're not even Arminians, or they're not whatever. Um, it's just, if they had a little bit, and I'm talking about really good, really good 
theologians, I'm not talking about heretics, I'm not talking about that a little bit of catechizing sharpness would improve the clarity and make it a lot simpler because there's sometimes when people, uh, I was reading a book there recently, it was very good, but just a bit of give yourself to Christ and you know, dedicate yourself. It just seemed to, the danger is you turn faith into something meritorious. But, um, and th this is why I think it's really, really important that you, regardless of what your view, go in and bring the scriptures with Scripture is the final authority. Okay, we're on question six of the Westminster Larger Catechism. If you have it there in front of you, um, the one I have is from the Free Presbyterian publications. Free Presbyterian now, uh, the, the Scottish ones, There's and they're very different denomination to the one in Ulster, and even the one in um, North America. Probably people have heard of that. Um, question six of the Westminster Larger Catechism. And, and this section we're looking at, it, it starts a new section. What men ought to believe concerning God. Massively important when we think of the of what we've just seen. What should we believe concerning God? We shouldn't believe based on what our emotional leading or anything else like that. The so often we can form our idea of who God is from our emotional experiences, especially people who are in the charismatic movement for a time. But I would urge you to form what you know about God based upon the scriptures. Excuse me. It says, what do the scriptures make known of God? Question six of the Westminster Larger Catechism. Answer, the scriptures make known what God is. The persons in the Godhead, his decrees, and the execution of his decrees. Now, let's go through those one by one. Now, I'm not going to really have time if anybody in the chat room wants references and things like this but it you can you can actually look this up there's loads of websites that have put up the Westminster Larger Catechism so you can follow this along you don't necessarily have to buy a copy to be able to follow along with these programs but the scriptures make known what God is so who is God what is God? Unless it is formed by the infallible, inerrant word of God, we won't know and we'll be wrong. And it also tells us the persons of the Godhead by studying natural revelation. We'll never be able to discover or that God is a trinity, that there's the three persons 
of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, this doctrine is in the Old Testament too, but it's far clearer in the New. It's kind of more hinted at in the Old Testament. It, it is there. It's not to say that it's not there. Uh, the persons of, in the Godhead, his decrees, makes known his decrees that God has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. He will declare the end from the beginning. Prophecy. This is what will happen. He will declare it, and then he, people will see later, referencing places like Isaiah 46, verses 9, 10, and 11, that this is the true God. That he's not like the other gods who can't predict the future. So his decrees and the execution of his decrees, so not just the decrees, but the carrying out of his decrees, and they will involve, at times, means, but God is not dependent on any of the means which he uses to carry out his will. And that's what the scriptures make known to us, and this is why we must know the scriptures, so who we know who God is, what God is, it says here, the persons of the Godhead, we must know who God is his decrees, and the execution of his decrees. Question seven, what is God? Answer, God is a spirit, and in and of himself, infinite in being, glory, blessedness, perfection, and all, all sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, incomprehensible, everywhere present, almighty, knowing all things, most wise, most holy, most just, most merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Now, let's go through these. To who God is. God is a spirit. He is a spirit. What does that mean? Can we see God? No. He is a spirit. It says that they're later invisible. He is a spirit. So we see references to body parts and things like that in the scriptures. These are anthropomorphisms. These are use of language to explain in ways that we can understand God almost speaks to us in baby talk so that we will understand what he is doing of himself infinite in being there's nothing that limits him he is infinite glory this is why for all eternity we will marvel, be in awe, and gladly worship him for all eternity because of his perfections, because of his attributes, blessedness, and perfection. All sufficient, all sufficient. God needs nothing from me, 
He needs nothing from you. And why does he do it? To glorify himself, the gospel, the redemption of sinners, glorifies God and shows forth his perfections. He needs nothing. We've got to realize that. We need him. He does not need us. And we need to present a gospel to people that is not one of a needy God. Someone who's dependent and yes, he calls all men everywhere to repent. But at the same time, He doesn't need any of us. Yes, he delights in his children because of Christ, but he doesn't need us. He has that fellowship and that love within the three, within the Godhead, those three persons. Before eternity passed, God the Father loved God the Son with a perfect love and vice versa and the Holy Spirit and they loved each other perfectly from all eternity, all sufficient. Don't think that God got lonely because the more we know of God, the more we our, our worship will get richer, our gratitude will grow, and we will realize how unworthy we are of the least of his mercies. It says he is eternal, without beginning, without end. Jesus is described as the Alpha and the Omega. That does not mean he's the first creature, the last creature, but that means from all the extremities of time, basically without beginning, without end. Unchangeable. Kids often ask the best questions. I'm going to be biased, and I think my daughters ask great questions. They're both five. They're twins. And they said, why why is God changeable, or, or unchangeable, sorry? He's unchangeable. And I asked them the question. I said, well, is God perfect? Yes, they said. If he changed, would he still be perfect? I'm like, no. If you're already as we'll look at in a second, uh, most wise, most holy, most just. And any change in that means you're no longer those things. So God cannot change. This is why it's so important that we realize that Jesus was from all eternity and was at every point of his life God Almighty, there's no possibility that that could ever change. Yes, there are people who teach that within the charismatic movement that for a time he emptied himself and no longer was God for a time. There's variations on the view. Todd White, Bill Johnson, a couple of other people like that teach this doctrine. I'm not sure if um, uh, Chris Vallotton teaches that. I'm not sure, Um, but I'd imagine there's others as well. So this is not me just saying it just for the sake of saying it. These doctrines exist. These doctrines are around the place. Jesus, yesterday, today, 
forever. Jesus is the same. Now, he took upon himself the form of man, yes, but in his divinity, never, ever changed. Another hypostatic union where he grew as a boy in subjection to his parents and learned and grew in grace and mercy would never completely understand that. And I would be, you need to be extremely careful, get some good books on that. And be careful when you're expositing. But realize one thing, he never ceased to be God. True man as well. True man, true God, true man. And so many heresies have come into the church. So all I would say is, I would urge caution and study good books on the issue, man, mostly, um, mostly obviously the scriptures, but the catechisms are a safe place to learn from these things or learn about these things. So it says here, unchangeable, incomprehensible does not mean that at no point can we, we cannot understand anything about God. Um, there's a limitation because we are finite beings and he is so far beyond us. That's what it means here by incomprehensible. Not that there's nothing at all because a lot of theories have come out, you know, within liberal circles and all this kind of stuff. But at the same time, we'll never fully understand God, because we're finite creatures. We are finite creatures, and His ways are far above our ways. Everywhere present, He's omnipresent. Rem remember that when you're on the internet. Remember that when you're alone young man with a young lady. But God is present everywhere. Remember that in your prayer closet. Remember that when nobody else is looking, God sees. He knows all things. Almighty. And remember, remind yourself of that, these things in these days, when we, there's so many conspiracy theories, I don't want to go back over that last program, but we almost attribute so much, too much to these people who, you might be able to show a quote here and a quote there, God is all powerful, not these people. Even, even though a lot of them are really not proven or anything else like that, but I, that is a, I digress. Um, knowing all things. Now, knowing all things, not because he learned them, because he decreed them. It's very important that we get this right. God knows everything because he decreed it. God's not looking down the corridors of time to discover who will choose him and trust in him. He knows everything because he's ordained whatsoever comes to pass. And it's, it's really important that we get that right. He's not reacting to anything. He knows everything because everything proceeds for, without him. Nothing can or would happen. 
most wise, and this is why we go to him, this is why we go to the scriptures, most holy. This is why when we speak of God, that we are to do so reverently, that we don't break the third commandment. Most just, it says, so that we are not bitter with the concept of hell because it is holy, just, and right. Most merciful and gracious. But in all these things, you're not a believer. He is most merciful and just. He, he can't set aside his just attribute because he is just. There's no change in that. He's unchangeable. But he's, he also delights in mercy. God delights in mercy. And he's ever willing to receive you if you will come to him in faith by trusting in Jesus Christ, regardless of what you've done in the past. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us has broken God's law and is worthy of hell. So he's most merciful and gracious. Why would you not come to him if you are not a believer right now? What is keeping you back? What is keeping you back is hatred of Almighty God. Because you don't want to. You love your idols, your own gods, possibly yourself more than God. And you must turn from these things and trust in Jesus Christ. Or you're without hope. If you follow your own way, that easy way, that, that wide road that leads to destruction, and many there be, there go, they're at. Because in this life, it seems easy. It is, from a certain point of view, easy. As Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 talk about. Long-suffering. You probably ask, well, why is the Lord tarrying so long and the judgment and all this? Why doesn't God judge, name the country, whatever? He is long suffering. Why did God put up with me until I repented when I was 24 years old and trusted in him? He is long suffering. And it's another thing to praise him for and to thank him for. And abundant in goodness and truth abundant in goodness and truth. And we were looking at that earlier, but his goodness. And without his goodness, we have nothing. Question eight of the larger catechism, and this might be the last one we do, actually. Fewer than I expected to get done today. Um, question eight, are there more gods than one? Answer, there is but one only, the living and true God. And we know from creation that there's a God, that the, the heavens declare the glory of God. Not just a God or that there's some creator somewhere. The heavens declare the glory of God. Question nine. How many persons are there in the Godhead? There are three persons in the Godhead the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And these three 
our one true eternal God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory, although distinguished by their personal properties. I will not be able to do justice to this if I do this quickly, and I don't want to do this quickly. I want to take my time going through this, so probably next Friday we might do more, maybe even Monday. Um, there's a an article that's been kind of circulating around on Desiring God's website, I think people might know what I'm talking about, and um, I haven't read it yet, so I'm not going to comment at all about it yet. If I think it may be wise to comment on it, possibly Monday, or might some, something else pops up, um, I'm hoping, yeah, really hoping, obviously, there's, there's nothing to comment on. Look, and sometimes even critiques don't necessarily have to be um, of a massively serious nature sometimes it can be i remember i really like john MacArthur, but i did a program years ago um was on baptism or dispensationalism oh the sabbath yeah how i disagree with him on the sabbath okay um so i try and do that and try you know again in the right spirit that we if it, you know, just because somebody's being critiqued in this program does not mean that I think there's some rabid apostate. Of course, a lot of them are, um, but not all of them. Just because I you go through the the back catalog or anything like that does not mean if I disagree with somebody in some place does not mean that they're an enemy of the faith or anything else like that. Um, necessarily, necessarily, and um, hopefully by God's grace, that I've made that clear over the years. Any questions, feel free to send it on to megiddofilms at gmail.com. Hopefully this outro music will work better this time. We're going to see. Oh. Okay, that, I do not know what happened there. Um, Something's gone wrong with the player. Well, we're not going to have any outro music. <laughs> This has been Paul Flynn. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, megiddofilms at gmail.com. Talk to you again soon.